Our text this morning is from Psalm 61, and you'll find that on page 478 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. Becky, you may be seated. We're keeping on trucking through the Psalms this summer. Uh, Here in Psalm 61, uh, we find another Psalm of David. He is... What's David's deal? He's once again in some kind of nondescript calamity. Um, But we know that he's in trouble because verse three, he talks about God being a strong tower against the enemy. He didn't say what kind of enemy it is. Um, He had a lot of them at times in his life, so it's hard to pinpoint. He speaks in verse two of uh, using kind of exile language, so he may have been in a time where he was not uh, in the kingdom. Uh, Again, we're not gonna make... Uh, a a guess as to when this was, but we do know that this psalm is a plea for rescue, Um, and I believe it has some interesting aspects to it that we're going to highlight this morning. And so first, in his circumstance uh, that seems to be stifling him, even though he's in, he finds himself in that place, uh, the first thing that's interesting is he has, he calls out with supreme confidence in God's protective action. He has no doubt of what God is going to do or what God can do. Uh, In relation to that, uh, the second thing I I think is interesting is that his confidence is based on the past saving actions by God in his life. Um, And so as we think about this, David in a a difficult situation, he, he is confidently calling out to God and the reason he's doing that is because he can clearly see God working in his life in the past and in the present. And so as we try to connect this to us, I think for myself, um, and I'm certain for many of you, sometimes it's hard, it's hard to connect God and his presence and his love and his kindness to the things that happen to us in the day to day. It's hard to do that. It's hard to see and label and and make distinction about when God is being loving or when he is there and when we feel like he's not. And so what we can learn from David is that there is eternal benefit, eternal benefit in reviewing our past, reviewing our days even, and, and working to label define God's actions, looking for God working in every part of it. Because what do we know, Christian? What do we know? We may not feel like God is present. We may not feel like God is with us, but what do we know? We know that scripture tells us in the good things, the things we love and the things we hate, God is good, he is loving, he's attentive, and he's present. We know that's a fact. And so as we try to connect 
the fact of God's presence and his love in our life and the circumstances we find ourselves in, we try to make them make sense together. Psalm 61 is a great aid in that effort. And so let me pray for us to that direction. Um, And we'll take a look at uh, verses one through eight of Psalm 61. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, help this broken man to do your word justice. I pray, Lord, that my words, as weak as they may be, would be carried by the Spirit to our hearts, my own included, that we would learn, that we would see you, that we we would remember who you are, that we would see King Jesus this morning through Psalm 61. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay. Um, Psalm 61, we're looking at verse one here. So in verses one through four, David is pleading to God. Look at verse one, David pleads. Verse one says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. Now here's what's confusing. Um, And so uh, to give you a little insight into how I study, the first thing is I do, I read the passage several times, sometimes in different Bible translations, but then I start looking at individual words. I want to make sure I understand what they mean. This word cry was the first word I looked at and it threw me for a loop. It means a shout of jubilee. Okay. I don't understand what's happening immediately. Okay. When we read cry, what do we think? Sadness. So Let's talk about what's happening here. Hear my cry of jubilee, O God, listen to my prayer. Now what we know, as we look at the beginning of verse two, from the end of the earth I call to you and my heart is faint. David's situation is not a good situation. So if he is celebrating, if he is is joyously calling out, it's not because he's at a party, that's not why. And so if you look at the language of verse two, it's kind of the language of being lost in the wilderness. Um, It's not kind of, it is. Um, And so let's think about this. Here's how we can connect this idea of a cry of jubilee. Um, Think about being lost in the wilderness and all that entails. Julie and I talk about this often and she'll say at ransom, if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, just leave me behind, I will not survive. So think about surviving in the wilderness And I know that there is a varied length of time that amongst this group we could survive. Some of you not long, love you. Uh, Some of you much longer. Maybe, I feel like I I could survive a long time, but I don't know, I really don't know. Um, But I grew up in Maine, so that's gotta count for something, right? Um, But think about this, every single one of us being lost in the wilderness, left to our own devices, would reach that point where all we have left is the ability to die. That's it, that's all we have. Swiss Family Robinson doesn't happen. You don't have ostrich races in the wilderness. That's not how it works. If you've never seen that movie, shame on you, all right? Spoiler alert. Um, But listen, imagine that moment. You are at the end of all your physical abilities and rescue is on the horizon. Think about what you would do. If you could physically, with your voice, move salvation as it's nearby to you, you would. And so as David is crying out, it's a mixture of joy and panic because he is at the end of his rope and his only salvation is God. That's it. Salvation is showing up on the horizon and so he says, hear my cry, a cry of joy and panic intermixed. He says, listen to my prayer. He's desperate. He's pleading with God. 
He's pleading with God in honesty. Verse two, the beginning of verse two, from the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Now we talked about just a second ago about how this is kind of the language of being lost in the wilderness. Again, we did this last week. We have to go to the context of Israel. What is the land of Israel? It's the promised land of God's people back in that time under the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant. And so for them, being in Israel is a mark of their faithfulness to God, a response. Their, if their response to God and all that he's already done for them is faithful and true, they remain in the land. So when an Israelite finds themselves in any other place, you got your shirt? You good? All right. Um, any other place, any other place, they, something has gone seriously wrong. Something's gone seriously wrong. And so that's where we get this idea of being lost. To not be in the land is a marker of bad times. Then the admission, the honest admission that my heart is faint. David pleads with honesty that he can't do anything else. And he does so without hesitation. I think that's one of the great things about David in the Psalms is that he often admits he doesn't have what it takes. Do you know why he does that? Because he doesn't. He doesn't have what it takes. David knows his limitations. David knows that he is nothing. He was the seventh son of a shepherd. And now he's king of Israel. He knows, and it's okay that he admits that he doesn't have what it takes because that is true. So this is not complaining. This is trusting God. David is pleading with God. His pleading is desperate. His pleading is honest, and it's hopeful for God's deliverance. And so we see in verse two, exactly what he's getting at. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David is pleading honestly with God. Lead me to the rock, he says. What does David know? I sang Saints of Zion too loudly. My voice is suffering now. Thank you, John. What does David know? He knows that God is his safety. He knows it. He knows that God in his life has been, still is the difference maker. He knows that God is the savior of weary souls. He's not the one who meets you halfway and says, well, you help yourself and then I'll help you when you can't. No, God is the one who comes after those who are in need. And so he knows that the rock is higher than himself. David's not complaining. Complaining is expressing need without hope. You see how that works in our lives when we're complaining, we just want to be negative about something. David's not complaining. He's expressing his need in the context of his only true hope, God himself. To make a quick pivot to ourselves, listen, much like David, David can't be saved unless he needs to be saved. We don't need a savior unless we need a savior. David's never not in need. You and I, we are never, ever in our lives not in need of God himself. Now, at times we feel it more than others. I feel it more at times than other times. But we are always in need. And the sooner we admit it, the sooner we go to God in our need, the sooner we'll become aware of his active presence in our life the sooner we admit our ongoing forever need of Jesus, the sooner we'll experience the joy of the salvation of the rock that's higher than us. I've been reading, uh, slowly working my way through a trilogy of books by an author named David Benner. 
Um, the second book is called The Gift of Being Yourself. And he says this uh, about this idea, the more I have the courage to meet God in my places of weakness, the more I will know myself to be truly and deeply loved by God. And the more deeply I know this love, the easier it will be to trust it as Christ did, preferring God's will to my own. An admission of our need, pleading in honesty to God leads to good things. And so David, he's demonstrating this. He's demonstrating this himself, allowing himself to be loved, even though his heart is faint. And so what is David doing? He's pleading honestly to God in his repeated need. Look at verses three and four. He begins with the past. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. So what do we learn? Even if we didn't have the rest of the Psalms, which we do, praise the Lord, even if we didn't have them, we know that this is not the first time David has come to God in need. So David, this is not the first time he's, he's recognized his need and come to God. David, you see, has this entire body of evidence of God's deliverance in his life. And so we know that as David has lived his life, he hasn't just looked forward, he's actually looked back on times, hard times, uh, probably good times as well, and he's taken an inventory, he's labeled and, and, and reviewed where God has worked. And he has this idea, he has again this body of evidence of how God works, and he's taking that formula, he's taking that experience, and he's applying it to the present and the future. It says in verse four, Looking forward, let me dwell in your tent forever. That means safety. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. David is in need now. He will be again in the future. And so since he has this deep narrative of God's rescue, a deep narrative of God's presence and love and kindness, he can be confident in God's future action in times of need. And so he says, moving forward, Lord, protect me in your tent. Moving forward, in confidence, he's saying this, shelter me under your wings. My original sermon plan was to stop at verse four. Um, and I think there's good stuff here, including some of you are like, man, that would have been a 15 minute sermon. Why didn't he do that? Um, but listen, verses five through eight have too much there to ignore. So let's review where we're at before we move into verses five through eight. We can directly apply what David has already done in verses one through four to our lives, and here's how we can do it. First of all, as we evaluate God's action in our past, his rescue in our past, in good times and in bad, we can build our hope of deliverance for the future. Do you see how David's done this? As he's reviewed the past and seen God work, this builds up our hope for the future. And we can take that, and so as we do that, as we collect this evidence, as we observe God working and we apply it to the future, what's it gonna cause us to do? It's gonna cause us, when we find ourselves in these situations, to plead with God honestly in our repeated need. So it's not just about pleading with God in our repeated need, it's about the motivation behind it. We can plead to God more confidently knowing he's a deliverer and knowing that he will deliver. So I hope you see how those truths stack together and I think as a way of applying it to our lives, it is worth our time, absolutely worth our time to sit 
and to evaluate the past, pinpoint, label, describe, discover God's presence in the good and even the bad moments of our life. Because he was there, we know he was. Sometimes we don't see it, that's our issue, not his. He's there, he loves us, he's attentive. And we take that filter and we apply it to our present and our future and as we become more aware of what God's doing and how he does it, we become more confident in our hope of the future. But David in verse five transitions from this prayer to God and his situation and he actually begins to pray for himself as king. He begins to pray for himself as king. You see, David, as the king of Israel, it's a different time. God was, had only partially revealed what he was doing and will do in Jesus Christ at this point, but he had told David, listen, from your line, from your line, there will be a king that will reign forever. He'll be a just king, a righteous king. And so David, in some sense, is the beginning of this new thing that God's doing, this, this continued thing that God's doing with his people, and he is the covenant holder for the people of Israel, meaning from this point until the end of the kings, how the king goes generally is how the people will go. The faithfulness of the king, the faithfulness or unfaithfulness of the king will determine whether the people stay in the land or not. And so David, in verse five, begins to pray for himself because the weight of that responsibility is weighing on him. Look at verse five. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So he's recognizing, listen, I have a responsibility here. You've heard my vows that I have made as king. And what he's really admitting, we'll see this here in the next couple verses, is that he knows he's not up to the task. He knows it. So at moments in David's life, I think like this in Psalm 61, he, in those moments of need, he throws himself on God. At other times, and I'm sure many of us could name those times, he just does whatever feels good. But here, he's saying to God, he's praying, I am an insufficient representative. We need somebody different. Look at verses six and seven. Look how the language changes. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. The prayer in six and seven is not for himself. It's for this eternal king that God has promised. He's asking for relief. He's asking for God to send the one who can bear the load. He's asking for God to send that eternally good king that would reign forever. And so as we look at this forward-looking hope of David, again, he has all this evidence of God rescuing him. And so as he looks forward and he looks at God's promise, what does he know for sure? That God will eventually bring that king. But we have the benefit of looking backwards. (laughs) We have the benefit of looking backwards from where David was sitting. And so as we plead honestly to God in our repeated need, what is the first and primary answer that we get? God answers with eternal King Jesus. Eternal King Jesus. And so for us, this is the decisive measurement of God's future rescue deliverance of us what he's already done through Jesus Christ. Now, listen, yes, 
There is much fruit, I believe, in evaluating every day of our life and pinpointing where God is working and how it looks and labeling it as such so that we can build up that recognition in our lives of where God is. But that practice takes time. <laughs> it takes time. It's not like we're gonna do it for today, uh, this afternoon, and be like, oh, I'm good. No, it's gonna take time and a a body of evidence. We're gonna have to start making a practice of this to see God working in our lives. But even when we struggle, we don't have this formula in our lives yet. We're not good at labeling where God is and what he's doing. Even when we struggle to see it, what has he done? He's already done it on our behalf. He sent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walked in the flesh. He walked in a worthy manner that we could never walk. He died on the cross. It says in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That is evidence of God's rescue in our lives by Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. What did he do? What was done for us? Jesus took enemies and he made them friends and brothers and sisters. Jesus took those who were spiritually dead and he made them alive. He took people who had no hope whatsoever and he gave them the ultimate eternal hope. He took people who had no future and he gave them eternity with him. He gave people who had no leg to stand on before God. He gave them righteousness. He gave us everything good. And so, verses five through eight help us. What in the day-to-day can give us the confidence to plead to God, being honest about our situation? What can give us the confidence to plead with him honestly in our repeated need? King Jesus can. That's it. King Jesus can. And so how does David finish the psalm? He says this, it's reaction. I love David's reactions in the psalms. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. And so what are we doing here today, this morning? We're worshiping, we're singing praises to God. We're singing praises to God because of what he's done in Jesus Christ. We're singing praises to God, many of us, because we've seen him work in our lives. We're singing praises to God for what he has done for us. And then the question follows up, well, what is my vow? What's the vow that I'm making this morning? And the vow that we are called to make Christian is this, I need Jesus. That's it. That's the vow we make. These people who stood up here or stood there this morning and became members, what were they saying? I need Jesus just like you. And so this morning when you come and you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're not saying I'm better than everyone else. I've kicked sin to the curb. I don't do it anymore. You're not saying any of those things. You're not saying I'm worthy. You're not saying I've figured out the formula. You're simply saying I need Jesus. Jesus. That's your vow this morning. And so, if you believe that to be true, that you do indeed need Jesus, you are found at the ends of the earth and your heart is faint 
This morning as you come, you should cry out, you should eat and drink with that joyous panic. Your rescue has come. It is here. It's yours. If you've made that profession of faith, you've been baptized, you're invited as a brother and a friend and a sister to come and eat. The the key here is for those of you here who do not make that vow. So there's a couple different ways you can make that vow of I need Jesus. Either you say, I don't think Jesus is who he says he is, or I'm not so bad that I need a savior. That's one reason to not come and, and take the bread and the, and the cup because you're not, you're not making that vow. You don't believe in that vow. So don't make it this morning. Or if you are in a place in your life where before you've said, yes, I need Jesus, but you're in a place where you say, you know what? I just prefer my own way at this point in my life. There's a sin in your life you you refuse to confess. Uh, The Bible makes it clear that also that would be a reason to not come and make the vow of I need Jesus. So let's take a moment, myself included, let's just be silent in our hearts. Let's pray about where we're at. Let's pray that the Lord would give us the meaning, the courage, the honesty to plead with him and make the vow this morning of our need, our desperate need for Jesus Christ. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing. Father in heaven, I confess that my understanding of my need of you is seriously faltered. All too often I act in independent ways and thinking that I've got this or I have the energy, I have the knowledge, I have the wisdom, I have the guidance, but all too often I've come to the end of myself in those circumstances, so I thank you for that. I pray for all of us here. All of us have a skewed view of our need, but I pray, Lord, this morning that we would admit that our need is greater than we do understand, and we come to you in need even of our understanding of our need. (laughs) We need you in everything. And so as we eat this morsel of bread, we drink this small amount of liquid, that we would understand what it is. It is a promise of your presence in our life. It's your actual spiritual presence here with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's our filling. It's a meal together as a family. It's a celebration of what you have done, what you will do at the end of time. And it's a a, a nourishment for our souls as we traverse this life that's full of hard, hard things. I pray that it can be all those things by the power and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.